All right, if you take your Bible, turn to Philemon. Philemon, that's that little book right before Hebrews in the New Testament. Philemon, it's a small one-chapter book, and, uh, but it is packed full of truth and, uh, that we need. And of course, uh, every week I pray and ask God to give me uh, a message ideal or something that uh, will minister to your needs. It's easy just to preach on topics, but uh, it is necessary that uh, the pastor is able to preach, to minister to the needs of the people in what you're dealing with. The book of Philemon. Now let's read this book and, uh, and let's get into what the Lord has for us today. He says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such an one as, here's my phrase for the day, Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him, that is mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as if it were of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever." Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, specially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But withal prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. There salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers, the grace 
of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let us pray this morning as we begin to ponder this topic I'd like to preach on. On Paul the aged are the marks of a mature Christian. Our gracious Father, we come, we thank you now. Lord, help us today as we enter into the preaching hour. Help us now to gain insight from the Word of God. Uh, Lord, help us to be able to align ourselves to the truths that we find here written in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. And uh, so the thought that goes along this is about Paul the aged. And so I begin to think about this, having been here now 10 years, uh, and seeing the, how the churches are in this area, of course they're this way everywhere, is there's a lot of immaturity in churches, church people are immature and they, uh, they, they do not know how to handle themselves socially or in corporate, what we would call corporate worship. Personal worship's one thing, but corporate uh, worship is another. And then the Bible, he speaks on that, how that we may behave in the house of God. And a lot of that has to do with our behavior. Now, this was no mute subject in the early church. They're even in the Corinthian church. That church was, he said, was spiritually immature. Now the Bible commands you and me to, he says, quit you like men. That means grow up, be a man about yourself, or be an adult about how you interact with others. But we find in the Corinthian church that they were carnal to the core. They had envians, and they had strifes, and they had divisions. I had a phone call a couple weeks ago. And it's probably one of our live stream audience. I won't name their name. I would not try to embarrass anybody. But he says, Preacher, as I watch and I try to partake in the live stream in your church, he said, I notice that you are death on clicks in the church. And yes, I am. I don't like clicks. I don't like little people groups because it is a sign and a mark of an immature church. There in 1 Corinthians, he said, you had this one group of people. They, were, they followed Paul and another group. Well, I'm of Peter. And another group over here, I'm of Apollos. And the other group says, well, I'm better than all you group because I, I was uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's that click-based carnal uh, church that uh, actually makes God sick. And so we've seen this in that early church. The Bible, uh, the Paul says this group of babies, they had corrupted some things in the church. They were messed up on water baptism. They had corrupted water baptism. He got into that there in chapter 1. They were bragging about who had baptized them. They were overemphasizing it. Now I believe in baptism. We're going to have one here in a couple of weeks. We're going to baptize uh, a couple of converts. And, and, and that's all well and good. That's great. we got to follow the Lord and believers baptism. But we don't overemphasize it. It happens after you receive the Lord Jesus Christ. But this church, because they were carnal, they were spiritually immature, had corrupted water baptism, overemphasizing it. They were bragging about their human wisdom there in chapter 1. They were also self-deceived, which we found there in chapter 3, about verse 18 of 1 Corinthians. Then they defiled their bodies. There we covered that. He covers that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, about verse 17. They were defiling their bodies, which the Bible is clear to say that your body, 
is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. I don't know what it is with this age, but when you get out, you see people, they got all kinds of piercings, they got all kinds of tattoos. I expect that out of a bunch of heathen, hot and tots that don't know God. But when it comes to saved individuals, you should not be defiling your bodies. And this church full of babies was doing just that. Ah, I got your attention, didn't I? You know I've been waiting on that. I know, that was a little cheap, but it's Bible. It's Bible. Uh, I'm amazed at how people uh, want to throw the Word of God out, and they want to mark their bodies all up, and they're like, well, I'm doing it for a good thing. And the Bible's clear. Do not learn the way of heathens. He says the heathen begin to tattoo themselves for the dead and all manner of things. Boy, I bet you ain't heard no... It got quiet. I thought we was going to let the Holy Spirit reign supreme in here. And I told you, when the Holy Spirit moves in, the first thing He does is going to start reproving of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So if you're sitting there thinking about getting you another tattoo, better rethink that if you're a child of God, not to defile the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. We're Christians. We need to look like Christians, act like Christians, and yes, above all, smell like them too. I mean, come on now. Unless you can show me a verse that says, Thou shalt tattoo thy body in the name of the Lord. I've looked, but I've not found it. I've found the verses that says, Don't do it. But I've not found any that says to do it. But that, you say, Well, what is that? I thought I was spiritually mature. I got me a tattoo of a cross on my arm. No, that's not spiritual maturity. That's spiritual immaturity. The Bible says, You're a baby. And he says, grow up. But then they had immorality in the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And they were bragging about, hey, just come however you want to. We're not going to preach against your sin here. And you can just live however you want. Be immoral all you want. We're not talking about lost people. We're talking about saved people. We're talking about church members. So they had a problem with that. They were suing each other. There in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, they were confused on marriage. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, they were abusing their Christian liberty in chapter 8. And then they weren't dressing properly in the house of God. He covers that there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Oh, man. And then they were abusing the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 also. And then... They were corrupting the spiritual gifts of the Spirit, namely the gift of tongues. Uh, <laughs> it's not in here, but I can throw it in here. They were having a problem with the women trying to preach, and which we got a growing problem with that day. That's not spiritual maturity. That's spiritual immaturity. And it's a problem. And then they were confused about the rapture. A lot of people confused about the rapture down in this area of the country. I, having come from down from the north, we're not as confused on it up there, but a lot of people are all millennials down here. They don't believe in a rapture. They, they don't believe that Jesus is going to rule and reign for a thousand years on this earth. Hey, that's spiritual immaturity. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he lays that thing out. And that ain't the only place in the Bible that he lays that out. 
He's not silent on the catching away of the saints. He's not silent on this rapture. It is actually a resurrection. It comes in three parts. He tells us that in 1 Corinthians 15. But yet there's so many people running around with their own personal feeling on the matter with no Bible. Well, I just don't believe in all that. Well, you're a spiritual baby according to the Word of God. But I do want to throw this in here by way of introduction. In all of that in that church, and he calls them spiritual babies, there was no church split. Won't read of it. As goofy as they were, as immature as they were, they didn't split the church. You see, I believe today's church, today's Christian, is in worse shape than the Corinthian church. Now, that's a problem. Christians today, now listen to me, they can express their emotion in the form of anger. They can criticize, they can mock, but, they, but what they cannot do is sit down and offer a good sound reason for what they're doing or how they're living or how they're acting other than I just feel like it. That's, that's a growing doctrine today. And the Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason. How you're living, you should be able to sit down and explain that from the Bible. We're biblicists after all. How, what we believe in, how we think should line up with the Word of God. You should have a verse of Scripture to back it up with. It should never be, well, I just feel that way. That's a sign of spiritual immaturity. And if left unattended, like a bunch of little toddlers and little kids, you let them play for about five minutes together, and next thing you know, you've got a big fight on your hands, right? Yeah, we all got a bunch, enough of little kids running around. You can't, heart, you got, they all, they have to have adult supervision because somebody gets envious of somebody else and because they're immature, this anger or envy swells up in them. They've never had that emotion before and they don't know how to deal with it. And all of a sudden it comes bubbling out. Not in love. But in anger, their expression, that emotion, they must be taught how to act. So it is with Christians and children of God. We must be taught how to act and how to conduct ourselves and how we should be, in the, especially in the house of God. Now, if you're visiting here this morning, I'm not preaching on this because we got trouble. We don't. <laughs> Maybe eight, nine years ago we did. <laughs> Maybe I should have preached it then. <laughs> But this is how you keep from having trouble. This is called preventative maintenance. If you own a car, you need to check the oil. You need to change the oil. Sometimes you need to put new plugs in. Sometimes you need to put new shocks and struts on. That's what we call preventative maintenance before it finds you on the road dead. <laughs> I'm really not brand loyal. Ford found on the road dead. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just having fun. <laughs> <laughs> they're all bad when they leave you on the side of the road. I don't care what they are. You're going to have to do a little preventative maintenance. 
But here, the Bible says, it's clear to say that the things that had been written aforetime were written for our learning. And the Bible gives us precedent. The Bible gives us a pattern to follow. And the Apostle Paul, who he says was Paul the aged. So Paul the mature. And he had later said, or earlier had said in 1 Corinthians 13, that there was a time when he was a child, and he spake as a child, and he acted as a child. But when he became a man, he put away childish things. And here, at the end, pretty much the end of his ministry, he's in a prison in Rome, and he's writing. And he says, Paul the aged, Paul the mature Christian, he writes to Philemon because Onesimus was a slave that had run away from Philemon for one reason or another. And he ran across the paths of the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul led him to the Lord. That's why he said he had begotten him. He's talking about begotten him in the faith. He had won him to Christ. And so I want to take a little time to share with us and show us right from Scripture how does a mature Christian act? What is the marks of a mature Christian? Number one, we need to see how does a mature Christian handle his conflicts. Right there in verse 1. How does a mature Christian handle his conflicts? I believe that we can all learn a little something from this. He says, Paul, a prisoner... Of Rome. Is that what he said? No. Paul, a prisoner of Pilate. No, that's not what he said. Well, he's sitting in a Roman prison, according to Acts chapter 28, verse 30. So why didn't he say that he was a prisoner of Rome? He said, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. So how did he talk about his conflicts? If you and I live long enough, you're going to find yourself in the middle of a conflict. And it's not going to be the conflict that's as important as how you conduct yourself in that conflict. Number one, how do you talk about it? How did the Apostle Paul talk about his conflict? He had definitely come into conflict against a government system, against the Sanhedrin. They did not want him preaching in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we live a little longer down here, I believe that will happen in America. And he had come into a conflict, but he didn't say, oh yeah, by the way, I'm a prisoner of Rome. He said, I'm the prisoner of Jesus Christ. He was a prisoner of Christ. He viewed it through God's eyes. He was viewing what had happened to him. Where he was in life, he was in a hired house awaiting a trial. He was in jail. He was in chains. How did he view that? Well, he viewed it differently than I probably would have. He says, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. He viewed it through the eyes of God because God had allowed it. Man, if we could just get a grip on that sometimes, the things that we face in our life, the problems we go through, even if it's a physical infirmity, it's been given to us by God. God is in control. Joseph, remember Joseph? Remember that boy? His brothers were envious against him, and he was sold into the hands of his brother. Then he was sold into the hands of the Ishmaelites. Then he was sold into Potiphar's hands. And then he was into Potiphar's wife's hand. Remember how that worked out? 
He had to flee. But here's what Jacob had to say when they were reunited with Joseph. He says this about Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful bow, even a fruitful bow by a well whose branches run over the wall. The archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him, but his bow abode in strength. And the arms of his hands were made strong by the, here's our phrase, the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. Joseph went through all that. You never once heard him complain about having been thrown into prison, having been sold by his brothers. And you say, why? I think Joseph had a grip that all things work together for the good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. He was a mature Christian, like Paul is a mature Christian. Here he is sitting in a prison with chains on, and he says, no, I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a way to look at it. Boy, I've had some bad things happen to me in my life. And I'm going to tell you, going through it in the moment, I sure didn't view it that way. I was viewing it like, Lord, why'd you abandon me? Lord, why'd you set me up for failure? Lord, where are you? That's the wrong way to handle that. Paul the age said that he handled his conflicts that he was a prisoner of the Lord. He was in God's hands. But this, now I think we need this. What was he doing during the time of his conflict? And, and, and let me get this. Let me put this in here. A lot of times when people go through a conflict, whether it's infirmity, maybe a divorce, maybe a death, and that's a conflict... You say, why do you keep calling that conflict? Because we're in a war against spiritual wickedness in high places. Just because you identify and the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you makes you an enemy of the devil and he's going to do what he can to work against you, to try to put harm to you just like he did with Job. Job teaches that, us that lesson that the devil wants to hurt you and hurt me to get us discouraged and out of the race for God. And a lot of Christians, when they go through a conflict, their activity ceases for God. It'd be the house of God you should be at. More so... But we see the Apostle Paul here in verse 4 that he was giving and offering up prayers of thanksgiving. He's a prisoner, chains on him, and he's offering prayers of thanksgiving. That's his activity while he's in the middle of this conflict. He's still praying. But then we see him, according to verse 10, he's still spreading the gospel because he had won a Philemon here or Onesimus to the Lord in the middle of a conflict. And then he believed that God would see him through this according to verse 22 because he says, prepare me a place to stay when I get out of here. And then he had great joy right here in our scripture. These were his activities while he was in the middle of handling a conflict. 
Now do you see the need that we must preach these types of messages? How does a mature Christian handle his conflict? Well, he handles them, he looks at them through the eyes of God. Number two, he continues to serve God. He continues to be a praying Christian. He continues to be a reading Christian. He continues to be a witnessing Christian. And he continues to have joy in his life because ultimately he's in God's hands. So we see that he viewed his conflicts through Paul's eye, uh, through God's eyes. But how did he handle his converts? That's another weak area down here. How did Paul, the mature Christian, handle his converts? Number one, where did he find them? Everywhere. If you go back to Acts chapter 28, there was... The, the Pharisees and the Jews were coming in and he was trying to talk with them. And, and so while he was there, instead of having the, the poochy lip and, and being all down and telling everybody about his, his pain and woes, he was telling them about Jesus. Anywhere and everywhere he went, even in prison, he was telling people about Christ and winning people, his converts. But then he discipled those converts. That I find very much lacking today. People want to win people, and they'll brag about how many people they're winning, but I want to know how many people are you discipling? Because a mature Christian doesn't just birth somebody in the family of God and leave them in a baby form on the side of the road and hand them a Bible and say, figure it out. He discipled them. He told young Timothy there, that young pastor, he said, the things that you have seen me do and seen me teach or heard me teach, he says, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So he firmly believed in discipleship. That's what a mature Christian does. He don't just count somebody as a number and a name to win another new Bible. They begin to disciple them and begin to try to work with them, to keep them encouraged in the Lord, to bring them along in the faith. There's too many people that I believe have been born again that know absolutely zero about the Word of God because they've never been taught. And you wouldn't treat your own children that way. When you have a child and some of your grandmas and, and mimis and your parents, your death on how you teach your children, you teach them how to eat, you teach them how to take care of themselves, you teach them how to cook, we should be doing that for our spiritual babies also. That's what's behind letting the children sing. That's what's behind letting the children take up a penny march. We're teaching them how to behave in the house of God. That when they come, they're not to come with their hand out. They come knowing and expecting to be involved in the worship service of God. They come expecting to be a blessing to others. Does that not bless your heart? To see little three, four, and five-year-olds sing the B-I-B-L-E and to sing other songs. Wednesday night, the youth choir, they're learning scriptures. They're going to start learning some chapters. They're going to begin to quote them and to sing. If we don't teach them, the world will. But a mature Christian, that's how he handles his converts. And Paul, how did he handle his companions? Now we're going to get down where we live. How did he handle his companions? Philemon was a companion. 
Onesimus was a runaway slave. So what did the Apostle Paul do? Well, number one, it started out, what did he call them? We see that he called Philemon dearly beloved. He called Philemon my son. He called Philemon a partner. And then he used the word fellow labor all right in this one chapter. That's how we should address one another. This morning, and I've told you this before, uh, we, we don't have a kingship around here. We're fellow laborers. We are partners together. I'm not an apostle. I'm just a preacher. And I told you, I like my men to be able to think for themselves, to be able to handle themselves. If you see a need, you take that lead on that thing. You don't wait on somebody to tell you what to do. If you see something needs to be done, do it. Think. I want to hear what you're thinking, how you feel. And you can, you can ask my men. Uh, every once in a while, I'll have a men's meeting because we have an important decision to make. And you, and, and you ask them, I want to hear your true feeling and belief on this. Don't tell me what you think I want to hear. We're partners in this thing. Tell me what you're thinking. It'll help me as we try to lead this church the way God would have it led. But we're fellow laborers. We're partners. We're dearly beloved. That's how a mature Christian handles his companions. God hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans where they begin to have those cliques again, that little hierarchy, and then the lowly. We're fellow laborers. According to verse 8, even though the Apostle Paul is a, an apostle, and he says here, he says, Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ, to enjoin thee that which is convenient. He said, I could have just went ahead and demanded this of you. But he says, yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee. Did you catch that? A mature Christian does not seek to take advantage of his companions just because he's got a little authority. He could have commanded Philemon to take Onesimus, but he said, I beseech you from the bowels of love. He says, I beseech you. And he says, I'm willing to bear the cost if he said, if he's done you or he owes you something, put it on my account, I'll pay it when I come back through. But he also, he said, verse 14, but without thy mind would I do nothing. You see that? You say, what, what was he doing there? He didn't want to do anything without seeking the mind of his companion. There's a lot of things around here when we have to make decisions. I want to know your mind. I don't just step in and do it. I could. I don't like doing that. If it's something small, okay. But for the sake of offending or hurting... I would want to know your mind. I believe that's how a mature Christian would handle himself. He would be concerned about what is the mind of his companion and how is he viewing it. I believe that solve a lot of church problems if you just sit down and try to view a position from the other person's side point of view. I didn't say they were right. The Bible's right. But if you're debating 
ketchup and mustard. Come on. The mature Christian is not looking to take an advantage of a companion. They're even willing to put it on their account and pay for it. Take it on the chin. You know, he didn't only say that here. He said that in Philippians too. He said, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Sure didn't have that strike back attitude, did he? said, you know what, it might cost me a little something to serve the Lord. I believe that to be important to us today. I believe that he is a mature Christian and God put it here to teach us by precedent, to teach us by what the Apostle Paul did so that we can follow in those footsteps. Take your Bible to Philippians chapter 4 and I'll prove it with Scripture. Here's what he told this group of people. Verse 9. I halfway quoted it already. Let's read it. He says, Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. That's a command. And the God of peace shall be with you. I believe we just take those three points and begin to work those. Now, remember, the Lord got in the message last week, and we ended up keying in on, it's one thing to be dedicated, but then you're going to have to be deliberate. Ruth chapter 2, remember? How to make it to the end of harvest. I believe that a mature Christian is deliberate and how he handles his conflicts. It's not easy sometimes. He has to become deliberate because he has that maturity. You know, I, I, I deal with this a lot. And this generation, if you're about 30-year-olds or younger, I'm getting ready to speak to you. It seems like the people that are a little older it wasn't as bad, but for the 30-year-olds, 32-year-olds and under right now, listen to me. Men. Part of being an adult and being a husband is not all about benefits, but it's about responsibility, and you're going to have to be deliberate in those responsibility. And I'm finding it a great, a great, great problem in 30-year-olds and under. I deal with so many of them. They don't work when they don't feel like it. They don't want to be daddy when they don't feel like it. They don't want to come to church when they don't feel like it. And they don't do anything they don't feel like it. That's immaturity, men. It's time to be adults. Quit you like men. <laughs> it's not all the time I like to preach and be pastor. But you do it because it's your responsibility and God called you to do it. If you're a husband, if you're a father, you have a responsibility. There's going to be, let me just fill you in, men. There's many a days I didn't feel like going to work either. But you do it anyway because it's right. There's many a times that I wanted to go buy a new fishing pole. I wanted to go do that, but I couldn't because the children needed something. That's called responsibility. 
Be mature. Now, everybody that's saved and born again, we need to be careful and be deliberate in how we handle our conflicts and even in our own marriages. You need to learn how to handle things in an adult fashion. Be deliberate in how we handle our converts. <laughs> yeah, I'm fishing again. For, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm out of notes. And so my old pappy used to taught me, when you run out of notes, have at least as much sense as an automatic washing machine. Shut off. <laughs> That's what my old pappy used to say. But we need to be deliberate in how we handle our companions. Learn how to love one another. Be forbearing with one another. That's what mature Christians do. Let's all stand this morning. Let us strive to be mature in our Christian walk with God. Let us strive to try to be more forgiving, more loving with one another. And be deliberate in that action. Be willing to bear the cost. Stop trying to get your pound of flesh back. It's gone anyway. Take it on the chin for the Lord because you're in God's hands. Let's have a song of imitation, please. Heads bowed, eyes closed.